Good morning, church. Uh, I need you to uh, take both of your hands, blow some warm air into them. Good, good. And then just rub the side of your head to warm up that brain this morning because everyone's a little frozen. I know, I know, me too. Uh, But we're going to get into the Word of God, and I want you just to be awake, alert, and ready to receive what God has for you, all right? You look great. Um, I don't know if Carrie mentioned this or not, but for those of you that moved this year in 2022, um, I would like you to fill out a connection card and drop it off at the information desk, because when we were sending out our family photos, I noticed that we didn't have some of your many of your mailing addresses, current mailing addresses. So uh, if in the next few days you don't get a beautiful card of my family, know that we tried to get it into your hands, uh, but you moved so or something happened. But please fill out the connection card so that we have your information. Also, next weekend, in seven days, our weekend experience is not going to be on a Sunday. It's going to be on Saturday, Christmas Eve. Christmas morning, uh, you get to wake up at whatever time your kids force you up and enjoy the time with family and spend time. Hopefully the night before Christmas Eve, Saturday night, 6 to 7 p.m., you will have spent with us. That will be our weekend experience. There will be no weekend experience on Sunday next week. If you got it, say got it. Now, the week after, I have to tell you this, because every year we have a little tradition. And we started it at the very beginning in year one of the church, and that is the Sunday after Christmas, we don't gather. We take that Sunday off for a couple of reasons. Uh, Number one, because I liked for Team Exchange, all of our volunteers that have served week in, week out throughout the year, I just like to give them a weekend of honor like a breather, a selah, you know, just a Sunday morning that they can sleep in and do whatever it is that their little hearts desire. However, I will tell you, we're not just taking the weekend off. We're providing worship at home. So you will get to worship at home uh, based on what I write for you, and that'll be available on our website starting Tuesday this week. So church happens whenever you get ready for church in two weeks. That's January 1st, all right? So next weekend, it's a, different, it's a different day for our weekend experience. The weekend after, there is no on-campus service. Service is in your home, which is great because you get to practice being the priest of your home. Can I get a good amen? All right. I want to take you to our text today in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. And as we step into the week of Christmas, I want to consider the words of the prophet Isaiah who said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice And with righteousness from this time forth and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you today. I thank you so much for what you're doing in the room, for your presence that is here. God, I ask that you would just help us to 
receive the revelation that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say, Amen. Amen. Back in 1971, that was a good year. 1971 was a great year. My wife was born in 1971. Um, and there was a mission in that year to go to the moon. It was called the Apollo 14 mission, and it was the third time that they landed on the moon. Now, I know some of you in the conspiracy world uh, debate whether we've actually been to the moon. I'm not addressing that. I'm not weighing in on if I believe we went to the moon, but let's just pretend for a moment that we did, okay? We went to the moon in 1971 for supposedly, allegedly, the third time, all right? And uh, the astronaut took with him a Bible, and they had shrunk down the Bible to a microfilm, and it was two inches by two inches. They got all 66 books of the Bible onto microfilm the size of two inches by two inches. All 66 books of the Bible ended up on the moon. Now, some people believe that Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, is the literary form of that little story that I told you, that I just gave to you. That is, the whole Bible can be shrunk down and condensed in, into one book, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. You can see from the beginning of creation to the return of Jesus Christ in the millennial kingdom in the book of Isaiah. The Bible has 66 books, and the book of Isaiah has how many chapters? 66. We have a brave guesser in the room. That's right. The Bible has 66 books. The book of Isaiah has how many chapters? Very good. The Old Testament has 39 books in the Bible, and the New Testament has 27 books. And that's interesting because in the book of Isaiah, there is a breakdown between the first 39 chapters and the last 27 chapters. In the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, we see a theme uh, that's very strong and an emphasis. And then in the last 27 chapters of Isaiah, we see a different, a shift in the theme. And it's very different. Now, in the book of Isaiah, just like in the Old Testament, the first 39 chapters has a theme of condemnation. The theme of the first 39 chapters of Isaiah is on law and government. Now, that should start to ring some bells for some of you because we know that the Old Testament centers around law and government. The last 27 chapters of the book of Isaiah has a different theme, and it shifts more to the focus of love and grace. Now that should be settling in someone's spirit. You understand that the New Testament has a theme. Jesus brought love and grace onto the scene. The book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, is the most quoted prophet of anyone else in Scripture. In fact, Jesus himself quoted Isaiah in Nazareth. Uh, he quoted Isaiah chapter 20, or 61 when he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. This is how Jesus starts his ministry, by quoting the prophet Isaiah. So Isaiah, I think, is pretty important. Isaiah is known as the messianic prophet because there is so much detail in his book about the coming Messiah. For example, chapter 7 talks a lot about the Emmanuel prophecy. We're going to talk about that Christmas Eve. Emmanuel, 
God with us. That's in Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 9, the bit of portion, the bit of text that we just read, talks about the birth of Jesus, talks about the millennial reign. Then we have Isaiah chapter 53, which references the atonement of Jesus Christ. And it goes on and on and on. Isaiah is pretty important. Did you know that outside the United Nations building in New York City, inscribed on the wall outside, is a quote from Isaiah chapter 2. And it reads, They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. That's their hope, the United Nations. That's their professed hope is that nation will not come against nation, that they would be united as one, to unite all nations. And I don't know, can you imagine a world where nation is not against nation? I, I don't know if you're looking at the news as of late. Uh, apparently, uh, World War III is looking uh, pretty interesting as it is formulated between nation against nation, and we've got all of these countries bidding for and jockeying for the top position and war is looking more and more not just like it's a possibility but a probability i this doesn't sound like a very encouraging christmas message today but can you imagine for a moment a world where it's not nation against nation a world where there is no homeland security a world where there is no TSA. Can I get an amen? There is no DEFCON 5, DEFCON 4, DEFCON 3, DEFCON 2, DEFCON 1. A world where everything is fair. A place where all politicians are saints. <laughs> A world that is ruled by one perfect mind and every decision is the right decision where toddlers can play in a snake pit and the toddlers find that the snakes are friendly and the snakes find that the toddlers are friendly. Imagine a world where the food is overabundant and plentiful even though the world is filled with people. It sounds like a fairy tale, but you don't actually have to imagine it. It's, it's a promise and it's headed your way. The Bible talks about a time, it predicts a time that's coming, and it's called the kingdom age. And everything that I just described to you is exactly what you and I will encounter and experience during the kingdom age that Christ is ruling and reigning on this earth. Sometimes it's referred to as the millennial reign of Christ. Matthew 19 calls it the regeneration. Acts chapter 3 calls it the times of refreshing. Also in Acts chapter 3, it's called the restoration of all things. Now, now, this is the kingdom that the Jews thought Jesus was coming to build the first time that he showed up. You know, when he showed up in a manger, in a stable. They had known the prophets were foretelling of this kingdom age, and they thought, thought for sure that Jesus was coming this time around, the first time, to establish all of these things, where there wouldn't be any Roman guards, there wouldn't be high taxes, there wouldn't be competition and crucifixions and pain and agony. 
in Isaiah chapter 9, our text, it gives us a glimpse and a reminder that what started in a manger will ultimately end in a kingdom age. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, goes far beyond Bethlehem. It goes far beyond the cross. It goes beyond the resurrection. It goes way into the future reign of Jesus Christ and the millennial reign of Christ on earth. Now, I want to read it again, and I want to see if you can pick up where we go from, we transition from the manger to the future reign of Jesus for a thousand years on this earth. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In the newspaper world, they have this, this font, this type, that when the biggest of news happens on planet Earth, they use the largest font, largest type that they can use. When a huge story breaks, they put it, as big as they can on the front page. Maybe some of you are old enough to remember some of the, the really big ones, like Israel becomes a nation, or, or JFK was assassinated, or the Twin Towers were hit. Maybe Bin Laden was killed, or maybe we landed on the moon. When these magnificent stories broke, the paper used the largest font that they could print on the front page of the paper. And it has a very interesting name. The name of that type is Second Coming Type. So when they run a newspaper article and it's the biggest news of the biggest news, they all know it needs to be run in the Second Coming Type. <laughs> because even the world acknowledges the Second Coming is a pretty big deal. And that's kind of what we're talking about here today. We're talking about the biggest news to ever intersect human history. His coming kingdom, it's not here yet, but his coming kingdom is the culmination of all the hopes of all the saints of all time. Even Jesus taught about this kingdom. He taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that prayer isn't answered yet. The kingdom of God is, has not come. It is not here in, in the flesh, in reality. It's not answered yet. But one day, friends, that prayer is going to be answered. One day the kingdom is going to be here. And not just in an ethereal, fuzzy, hipster kind of way. A literal way. Literal. The kingdom of God is coming. And this is a theme that runs all throughout scripture. It's a, a literal kingdom that will be established on this earth and usher us into eternity. If you remember in the Old Testament, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he had this dream. It puzzled him. He didn't know what he meant. And so he called all of the dream interpreters around and he wanted them 
to interpret the dream. And he said, if you don't interpret it, I'm going to kill you. So they all got really nervous. And Daniel was a dream interpreter. And he was like, uh, okay, I'm going to interpret this for you. But the king wouldn't tell Daniel the dream. Daniel had to pray to God to get the dream that the king had. And then once he got the dream that the king had, he had to interpret the dream that the king had. This is a ridiculous story. Talk about being put on the spot. Can you imagine? You interpret my dream, but I'm not going to tell you the dream. You've got to ask God what the dream is. Oh, man. God, I really hope you're listening. And God showed up and told him the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a statue. And it was a statue with a head of gold. Then it goes to silver, then to bronze. And then somewhere on the, the feet is a mixture of iron and clay. And in this dream, King, King Nebuchadnezzar saw a massive stone that wasn't cut by human hands. It came and destroyed the feet that was mixed with iron and clay. And then this rock grew and it covered the entire earth. And Daniel interpreted it and let the king know that God is going to send a kingdom that will overrule and override every kingdom that's ever been established on planet earth. It's coming. And it's not a kingdom that's been cut by human hands. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Do you remember when the angel saw Mary? When the angel came to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to be with child. And, and she said, who, me? Do you remember that story? There's a part in there I think that we often forget or maybe we overlook. The angel told Mary, you will bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You see, what started in a manger didn't just stop in a manger. This isn't just, you know, so that we can have a that was, a, that was a really cute nativity, live nativity, by the way. So kudos to the kids for doing that. But Christmas is bigger than a living nativity. It's about a kingdom that's coming full force to planet Earth. This is what Jesus came and died for. What he did on the cross is not complete, and it won't be complete until the kingdom of God comes. All throughout Scripture, there is the preview of a king and a kingdom. Now, I know in the United States of America, we don't get kingdom talk. It is one of the hardest concepts to download into the church because we are Americans. We were established by rebelling from a king. We were established by running away from a kingdom. Are you with me? It is in our DNA to be independent. It is in our DNA to be our own king. More of the world, most of the world today really doesn't understand what a true kingdom looks like, a true monarchy. Most of the kings and queens that are of today, it's just honorary in nature or it's symbolic in nature. They're not really running the country. But the idea of a kingdom implies total dominion and sovereign control. The king is the king, and the king doesn't fall off of his throne. The king doesn't get voted out every four years or every eight years. 
this kingdom is here now in a spiritual sense. We get to have access to the kingdom here and now spiritually. Jesus said, the kingdom, my kingdom, is not of this world. The kingdom of God is within you. So spiritually, you and I get to embrace the kingdom. We, we get to have the kingdom here now spiritually. But we mustn't overlook the literal interpretation of so many scriptures that say, one day there is coming a kingdom upon this earth and every other king will bow to Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is a very literal kingdom coming to planet earth. Now, in our text, there are three things that I want to pull out in our remaining time. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Point number one, we take away from those, those verses those few lines, it's actually half of one verse. There's a remarkable king. This kingdom will have a remarkable, remarkable king. In this half of one verse that I just read to you, a child is born, a son is given. We learn about his humanity, we learn about his deity, and we learn about his Sovereignty. All right, let's break this verse down, can we? All right. For unto us a child is born. God is coming into the world as a baby. Now, the church is, is pretty good about defending the deity of Christ. We're pretty good as a, as a church, historically at least, and I think even contemporarily today in our cultural Christianity, I think we're pretty good at defending the deity of Christ, meaning Jesus is God. Like that's kind of fundamental to being a believer in Jesus Christ. You have to believe if he's the son of God, he is in fact God himself. Jesus stated that he was the I am. So to believe scripture, we must believe that Jesus is God. We're really good at defending the deity of Christ, but where we get a little uncomfortable defending is his humanity. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. The first heresy of the early church, the first, the first false standing in the early church was not the attack of the deity of Christ. It was the attack of his humanity. It was known as Gnosticism. There was a sect of Christianity in the early church that believed Jesus uh, was the Son of God, but he wasn't actually here in the physical flesh. He was a spiritual being that just looked physical. It was Gnosticism. Those people were kicked out of the church. There are many Gnosticism branches of the early church. That was one of them. It was one of the first heresies of the church, not defending the humanity of Jesus. John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. You know, go on down to verse 14, we cannot forget that it goes on to say, the Word became flesh and dwelt among them. Jesus is fully God and fully human. So we are dealing with God in a womb. God with a placenta. God with an umbilical cord. God with dirty diapers. God that crawled and had to learn to talk and learn to eat. And as he grew up, we're talking about a God who grew sleepy 
if you remember, he got into a boat with his disciples and he, he fell asleep because he is human. He slept at a very bad time, Jesus, please. We're talking about a God who grew tired and fatigued. We see him at the well in Samaria. The Bible says he grew weary from his journey, so he had to sit down in Samaria because like you and me, he got tired. Anybody tired of all this traffic? Where was this traffic on Black Friday? I didn't see it, but now I can't even get to the store without getting, well, having to pray. Do you know what I mean? Check myself before I wreck myself. I was driving my wife last night around, and at one point she just taps my shoulder and she's like, honey, it's okay. It's okay. We're talking about, about a God who got hungry. A God who created all the food of the universe, craved it. He was, he was hungry. He fasted 40 days and nights, the Bible says. I love the one verse that says, and then he got hungry. I thought, after it took 40 days to get hungry? Because I get hungry after 40 minutes. We're talking about a God who wept. Wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He cried. He felt deep emotion. It poured out of his eyes, just like you and I. He is human. He is fully God and fully man. To us, a child is born. And the next phrase reveals his deity. It says, to us, a son is given. That's his deity. That's his kingship. Notice the word is, it doesn't say now he is born. The son is born. It said the son is given. That means he was a son before he was born. Jesus was the son of God before he ever entered the womb of Mary. This confirms he pre-existed before his birth. He was already a son, and then he was given. That helps us understand a bit, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus didn't become a son when he entered the womb. He was already the son. A son was given. By the way, the son always has to be given before a new child can be born. Before you can be born again, you have to acknowledge the fact that a son was given. That Jesus died on the cross for your sin, that he is perfect atonement for your redemption. The son was given long before you ever were born again. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Jesus is the only person. Think about this. Jesus is the only person that ever existed before he was ever born. That'll break your mind. Jesus never became God. Jesus always was God. He was God before the womb. He was God as a toddler. He was God in puberty, and he was God in the grave. Jesus was fully God and fully human. I remember the first time I ever went to Australia. We went to take Micah to school, and we left Texas. I love Texas. God bless Texas. It's a great nation. We leave Texas. We go to Australia. I had always wanted to go there. I thought it was going to be wonderful. And I remember going to the mall and getting food. I was starving. I was so hungry. It's, you know, because you're underneath the earth, 
there's a lot more hunger pains that just ride up because you're standing upside down. So I went to get food at the mall and I got a drink and I ordered a large drink. Now this was in the days when I was drinking 44 ounce Cokes. Not even Coke Zero. I'm not proud of these days, but that's, that was me. The Lord has saved me since. But I was drinking 44 ounce massive sodas, multiple a day. I was known by the convenience store clerk as the fountain man. And I went to, went to Australia. I get my food. I go sit down and I ordered, Ramona, a large Coke. Do you know that thing was about that size right there? And I said, I'm sorry, I think. I ordered a large, yeah, a, a large Coke. Yeah, that's large. So I go and I sit down and I, I drink it in about two drinks and I'm thirsty. And I walk back up to the counter and I ask for a refill. And they start laughing at me. And they said, you from America? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it was funny because all the, the Americans ask for refills, but you don't do refills in Australia. You just, the large is the large. And if you want another, you just pay for, you just order another Coke, another large Coke. And they just thought it was so hilarious that I would just think that I needed more Coke. And, and I just remembered the culture shock. I didn't really like Australia after that moment. <laughs> you take a Texas boy and you put him in skinny jean Australia with small Coca-Colas, and it was culture shock. But I got to thinking, I wonder what it would be like to be God and leave heaven where you're on a throne and angels are singing your praises and you got whatever you need whenever you want it and the atmosphere is saturated with praise. And you come to earth, a place where people don't even know you, a place where your own won't receive you, a place where you have to try over and over and over to con convince somebody that there's a better way to life. Think of the culture shock that Jesus must have experienced going from heaven to earth. He was fully God fully human. Jesus was a, a creation that had undiminished deity and unprotected humanity. Think about that. Undiminished deity while also holding unprotected humanity. He was fully God and fully human. The next verse goes on to say that the government will be on his shoulder. Isaiah is now peering way beyond Bethlehem, and he's seen into the future realm, the, the millennial reign, the, the, the time when Jesus is the king over all kings on earth. We, we know that he's already king of kings, but there's coming a day that they're going to know he's king over every king. And Isaiah is peering into that time, this this kingdom time, and he says the government will be on his shoulder. In ancient times, uh, government was considered a burden to bear on, on the political leaders. Now, I understand government leading in any capacity. I have tremendous grace for leaders in any capacity. 
because no matter who you lead or what you lead, I understand that you're a target and it's weighty. It's a burden that you carry. Men leading your families, single moms leading your families, I understand that it's a burden. It's a weight that you carry. And in ancient times, they really understood that the government, leading the government was a weight. And so what they would do is they would represent this weight by placing a robe on their shoulders. You ever seen the king's? And they've got the crowns, and they've got the gowns. The, what do you call that? I, I want to call it a cape, but I know it's not a cape. It's like a robe, and it's tied on the shoulders. The reason they would wear the robe is not just so that they could have a place to hide. It was to represent the weight of the burden that they were carrying. That robe over their back represent the weight of the government. That was a burden of responsibility that they had to bear. The government of the world is going to be on the weight of Jesus' shoulders. I remember an old tale of a monarch who took off his robe and he left the palace from time to time. Twice a year, in fact, he would take off his king garb and he would dress as a commoner. And he would walk around the village and talk to people and buy from the shops and get to know people. And his security detail was not happy at all. They didn't want him to do that because it put him at risk and he was within arm's reach of the person who might want him dead. But the monarch said that he had to do it because I cannot rule my people unless I know how they live. And it's a comfort to know that Jesus knows how you and I live. Jesus walked the earth in flesh, fully human, like you and I, not to understand our life, but to give us life. He was fully God, he was fully man, and he was sovereign. The second aspect of our text today, after describing a remarkable king, is his royal character. I've only got a a few points to be made on this, but I think it's so good to look at the character of Jesus. It says, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His name shall be called. Now, he wasn't literally called this. It wasn't a name tag that he wore to work. He didn't wear Wonderful Counselor. He didn't wear a hat that said Mighty God. Right? He, it, this is describing the name of his character, what he's like. Isaiah is looking into the future rule and reign of Christ and what you can expect in the kingdom. He is going to be and is for you now a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. He's a wonderful counselor. Anybody can get counsel, counsel by the way. But the question is, is it wonderful? You can go to a doctor for counsel, a psychologist, an astrologer, a, a psychic, to get all kinds of advice. But is it good counsel? Is it wonderful counsel? You can go to anybody to get advice, by the way. It is the cheapest and easiest thing to get. Everybody has an opinion on how you should live your life. And if you wait around for a moment or you take a long enough pause in your conversation, they will give you their opinion of how you should change or how you should be. Because everybody is dying to give their counsel on an issue, on every issue. 
That's just the way it is. But thank God there's one wonderful counselor. A Danish proverb says, He who builds according to every man's advice will have a crooked house. Everybody's got an opinion, and it's all based on maybe their past or their fears or their, you know, whatever they've been through or their hopes and their dreams for their own life. But when is the last time you've been to Jesus for your life as the wonderful counselor? Crowds wanted to hear him. Nicodemus scheduled a a private meeting with Jesus. We're told in Nazareth that all were amazed by the words that came from his lips. Then in John chapter 7, we're told that the guards were told to go and arrest Jesus. And when they come back, they don't have Jesus. And the mafia boss is like, where's Jesus? And the guards look at him and they shake their head and said, never has a man spoke like this. He's a wonderful counselor. Can you imagine having a counselor who knows all of your problems before you ever show up? That would be a cheap session. Not only is a wonderful counselor, he is a mighty God. Mighty God. And it's good that he's a mighty God. You know why it's important that he's a mighty God? Because he's a wonderful counselor. A wonderful counselor will give you suggestions and ideas and things that you can tweak and change and do and be a part of and lean into. But a mighty God will help you make it happen. So you get the benefit of the input, but then you get the power of a God who is mighty to save, mighty to change, mighty to transform. He is a mighty God. The leader of Soviet Union in the 1960s, Nikita Khrushchev, he led Soviet Union, and he said something about communism that I find interesting. He said, the chief failure with communism is its inability to create a new man. I would probably add the chief failure with all government, any form of government, is its inability to create a new man. The mantra for communism was a new coat for every man. But the mantra for the gospel is a new man in every coat. The gospel has the power to change. Because we serve a mighty God. Then he's described as an everlasting father. That's confusing. Jesus the son is everlasting father. It makes no sense, but it does. Because a better translation than everlasting father, we could say father of eternity. We could substitute father of eternity for source of eternity. Everything begins and ends in Jesus Christ. He's the everlasting father. Father, and it, it's, it's good to serve a God who ain't going to die. He's the Father of eternity. And then finally, it describes him as the Prince of Peace. Of all the things that describe the millennial reign, the 1,000-year reign on Christ, that I believe actually isn't too far away, peace. When Jesus comes to rule and reign on this earth, we are guaranteed of one thing. Nation will not be against nation. Our swords will be turned into plowshares. Our spears will be turned into pruning hooks. Nation will support each nation. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. When he rode into Jerusalem the first time, he rode in 
on a donkey because that symbolizes peace. He's going to ride into Jerusalem again a second time. This time he's going to be on a horse because horses represent war. The first time he makes peace, the second time he makes war. He's going to show up to earth and the war, the war, <laughs> the world is going to be in turmoil. Possibly World War Three. We do know from scripture that when Jesus returns, there are armies invading Israel. Gog and Magog, it's made up of Russia, Turkey, Iran, Syria. They're going to come from the northern border. Uh, you know, just kind of what we're seeing coalesce today. The things we're seeing built today is pointing to Gog and Magog. Now, I'm not saying it's happening next week. I'm saying that the stage is being set for what the Bible already talked about thousands of years ago. Uh, Jesus was able to write the future because he's the creator of the future. He knows He's coming back again in the middle of war and that's when he's going to turn their spears into plowshares and their swords, swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Jesus is going to set everything right on his second return. He's going to make peace because he's the prince of peace. Dennis the Menace cartoon. I don't know if you've ever seen this in the newspaper. I, when I was a kid, I looked forward to the Sunday paper so I could see the comics. And it was, any, anyone with me? Okay, we're old, y'all. We are old. Kids nowadays don't even know what it means to look forward to a cartoon. They don't. They just open up a phone. Dennis the Menace in this one cartoon, decades ago, his dad's sitting there watching sports, and, and Dennis says to his dad, Hey, Dad, why can't Christmas go into overtime? Sports go into overtime. Why can't Christmas go into overtime? Well, the truth is, it can, and it will. There's coming a day when Christmas will be every day. <laughs> For a thousand years, in fact. Because what started in a manger ends with a kingdom that you and I get to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. And that leads me to my final point. His righteous kingdom. Our text describes the righteous kingdom that we get to be a part of. It says, Of the increase of this government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. His kingdom is eternal. Justice and righteousness forever. I know we don't know what that feels like. I mean, we understand in America political tension. We've got two parties, the Democrats, Republicans. Some would argue there's a third. Nah, I'm not sure libertarian, right? We've got two or three parties and it gets a bit tense uh, in this country. It will drive sane people crazy, the political tension. Can I get an amen? But do you know how many political parties there are in Israel? The last I counted, which was last night, maybe more has developed in the past 12 hours. There are 38 political parties in Israel. 38. And you think we've got it bad with two and a half. 
I really, I, if, if you're that happy, I'm so sorry. I'm just teasing. You know I'm just teasing. I think it's funny that there are 38 political parties in Israel. Because one day there's just going to be one. Our Lord, their Messiah, is going to demolish 38 parties. And his kingdom is going to come down and he is going to rule and reign and his headquarters is going to be in Jerusalem. There were, I'll leave you with this. There were three guys arguing which, is, which of the three of them had the oldest profession. One was a surgeon, one was an engineer, one was a politician. And uh, the surgeon steps up and he says, I guarantee you right now, my profession is the oldest profession ever. Because if you remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam was asleep and God carved out of the man the rib and he created Eve. That's a surgical procedure. So surgeons existed first. And then the engineer said, oh, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've got you beat because long before Adam and Eve were created, the Bible says that God created order out of chaos. And that's exactly what engineers do. Engineers create order out of chaos. The politicians stood up and said, ah, but wait, who created the chaos? One day, friends, all chaos is going to end. And we have a little baby in a manger to thank for that. Will you stand with me? Father, we come before you today. I thank you that a child was born and a son was given and the weight of the government is upon his shoulder. God, I ask this week during our Advent season, our Christmas season, that we would just acknowledge the truth and the reality that Jesus Christ came as a, a child, but he was fully God and fully man. God, for anyone in the room who's not yet said yes to Jesus as their Lord and Savior, let this be the moment. Let this be the moment that we secure our destiny, our hope, that is not just in a better life now, but our hope that is in a kingdom that's coming, a very tangible, real kingdom that is coming Father, we admit that we're a sinner. We say yes to the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary for us. We believe that Jesus died on a cross for our sin. We believe that he was buried in a grave, as scripture says. And we believe that he rose again on the third day. God, from this moment forward, let our focus shift. Let our minds be regenerated to the image of Christ. God, we thank you that we are sons and daughters with a hope of a coming king and a coming kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. If you just said yes to Jesus, please text next, N-E-X-T, to 512-980-1220.